All right, welcome back to the podcast. Andy Jenkins here at the Hilltop. For the last couple of weeks, we have been discussing this idea of living by design, not by default. You've got this one shot at life. And we're not stating this from a, oh, woe is me. This thing's going to be over and I'm tapping out mentality. It's really just the opposite. It is saying this run around the sun, however many of them you get. You know, you got, I I don't know, you know, how many is it? You know, it it might be 30,000 days worth, 35,000 days worth, something like that. Whatever you got, it is such a gift. We want to make the most of it. We want to love each other fully. We want to live a life that matters. We want to leverage the gifts and talents and skills that the Creator has given us. We want to do it well. And so I've taken you on this, hopefully just this micro journey of uh, first episode. I I said, really, uh, in order to live a life by design, not default, you need to dream bigger in multiple areas of life. You know, have a dream for your business, but have a dream for your family as well. Have a dream of what your marriage, your relationship with spouse, significant other, what that could be. Have a dream for your fitness, for your health, for your finances, for friendships, relationships, even for some other area. And then let's determine the steps that it takes to get from there back to where we are. Let's reverse engineer it and then let's walk it out forward. And as we do, let's do the small stuff every single day. And the thing about these dreams is so often, you know, from day to day, the progress that you're making is so imperceptible to everyone else. I remember years ago when I had that dream, I'd gotten overweight, out of shape, you know, in my early 40s, I felt like I was about 83 saw myself in a full-length mirror one time. I was like, oh, good night. I've got to turn this thing around. So I, I did. I created this routine based on, I've alluded to it a little bit, things I was going to eat, not eat, exercise, getting up at a certain time, going to bed at a certain time so that I could get up in a certain time, you know, kind of charting what I eat. No, not really a meal plan, just kind of a lifestyle shift. And the first week I did it, oh, man, I was sore I was a little bit hungry. I felt like for sure, oh, I made all this progress. I jumped on the scale. I'd lost about two pounds. No, nobody else even noticed. <laughs> I, now, a couple weeks later, they did. Three, four months later, I didn't even look the same. But I remember those early days, the growth seemed so slow. And it's not like on the latter days, I was growing any faster than on the early days at all. It was just the accumulation of doing all the small stuff layered on top of one another. And then all of a sudden, it seems monumental. Little miniature stuff added up together. It is monumental. So, Episode one, we talked about that. Episode two, we really broke it down and said, all right, let's really discuss the idea of managing that calendar. It comes down most of the time not to skill, but to schedule. If you don't have the skill, you can acquire it. I promise you, like just about anything that's going to fit the dreams that you have, that I have, we can learn it. 
you probably wouldn't have the dream if it wasn't something you could learn. You know, think about it. Uh, so we really started dialoguing about categorizing everything into the start, stop, and continue grid. We started talking about creating the perfect week template. We talked about calendaring it, calendaring your priorities, and living from priorities, not from a to-do list. And then in the previous episode, we really got down to the heart. Talked about listening to what's going on inside of you and then hustling in the right way and then making sure that really you are holding fast to the call that God has upon your life, which I really believe vocation, vocal calling, it affects your career for sure and all those other areas of life. And I think that brings you back full circle, uh, right back to where we begin. Now, if you need tools for any of this, and you're thinking, all right, I need a cheat sheet for what you said. I've written all of this down in the show notes. I've also given you a link there to where you can get the advanced book for five bucks. That's where I write out all this. I've also given you a link for a free planner. It's a PDF download. It's the planner that I use. I use a hardback paper planner. Like that's it right there. I don't know if you can hear the pages rustling there. Pen and paper. You can download it absolutely free. You can also buy it. There's a link down below. Put it on sale for you there. Um, if if you're like, oh yeah, I want to I go in. I want to use it. Great. Buy it. If, if you're thinking, well, I'd, I'd like to see it first. Or you're thinking, I, I kind of got my own system. I use those fancy schmancy binders. I just want to print the pages. All right, great. Print them off for free and start using them. The, the tool's there for you. Now, all of that said, I want to shift gears and I want to dialogue with you about really what seems to be an idea out of left field, but it is probably one of the most important elements that you are going to pull into your, let's just call it your dream sequence or your best life or design my life blueprint. When you pull all that together, it is this idea of relationships. Here's what I say in the advanced book. I'm going to read it straight from the show notes below. Relationships are the currency of those who live in the realm of their inherent greatness. That means that you have it. You're designed by God for a purpose that is absolutely awesome, and relationships are the fuel. I continue reading. Walking in healthy relationships with whole people, not not perfect people, (laughs) there aren't any. Walking in relationships with whole people, it is essential, okay, absolutely essential to living your purpose. Now, in this talk, I'm going to give you three hangers again, three kind of bullet points, three, uh, let's just kind of put them down what they are, and give you three shelves to contain the content three boxes. Let's say boxes because these are all going to start with B. All right, number one, a business example. Uh, Years ago, Jim Collins, he wrote this book called Good to Great. In it, he studied the factors that made companies, businesses uh, who were working in the same time with identical market conditions, parallel opportunities. He wanted to discuss 
why some companies became great and other companies were kind of what he would say merely good, but by good, he meant like this was the number two company in that industry at that time. Anybody would have been ecstatic to be leading or involved with or be a shareholder in one of these good companies. So they were successful, in other words. The problem in business was so often people would study the best company and then compare them to the absolute worst company. You compare somebody who's a billionaire to somebody who's bankrupt, and that is a massive cataclysm. And so what he wanted to see is why were some companies excellent, meaning good, and other companies excelled beyond that and were great? Why did somebody plateau? at a high level, but some other business in the same time period. So you couldn't just go, well, this one was working through the depression and this one was working through a boom economy. Oh, this one was during a stock market crash and this one was, no, no, same time period, same industry. So you're, you're not comparing like an Apple salesman of Apple computers to somebody that's selling like, oh goodness, like I'm trying to think of something, a computer brand compact or something that went, you know, belly up. No, it's same market conditions, same industry, same technology, all that. I don't know if that was a good example. Ah, you get the idea though. And so he wants to determine what is the determining factor. Why did the number one company excel and the other one stopped at what was a high level? What's the difference? Now, here's what he discovered. It was interesting because uh, his research students at Stanford University, S-T-A-N-F-O-R-D, Stanford University out in California, they kept coming back and they kept saying, hey, it's the, it's the leaders, it's the leaders. And he was like, no, 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 don't come back with the cliche phrase and say it's the leaders. Now, if you remember, footnote for you listening, in the 90s, Leadership was the buzzword. I remember in seminary, we studied leadership. I mean, it was all these books out about leadership. And so when his research assistants are coming back, grad students, and saying leadership, it's leadership, it's the people, it's the people. He's like, wait, wait, hold on. That is so cliche. Let's make sure that we're drilling down to see what the data says. Go back and look again. And so they'd go back, they'd look, and they'd come back, and they'd go, no, it's, it's the leaders. He's like, no, don't give me the cliche. They'd go back, they'd look again, come back, it's the leaders. Here's what he discovered. It was the leaders, and there was something unique that they were doing. The good companies first charted their vision, the idea, the dream. What were they going to do? And then they began outlining the mission of how they're going to achieve that dream. We're going to build a business. We're going to build a business selling, you know, let's just make up something. Tacos and liquid paper. That's what's on my desk right here. Taco and liquid paper. We're going to sell that and we're going to do it by fill out their strategy. And then they began evaluating their organizational structure, their titles, putting people in slots. Here's what's interesting. That seems um, exactly like what companies should do. However, 
the great companies, the ones that excelled, the one that had that meteoric rise. And it wasn't just a one-off. Like he studied, I think it was 10 different companies he counterposed to 10 other companies. It was an extensive research project. The great companies started in a completely different place. They first built a team. They got the right people together. They focused on a who, not a what. Now, Jim Collins, he likened these companies to a bus. And he said, whereas most companies, the good companies, were enamored with the color of the bus, the destination of the bus, the seating arrangement of the people on the bus, and where they would be in the bus, the great companies simply wanted to make sure they got the right people together on the bus. And from there, everything was easier. Not easy, easier and elevated to a higher level. Now, pause. Look back at every significant turning point at your life, good and bad. I bet, I just bet that most of those moments had a significant person or persons there, not just an idea. In other words, you excelled at a dream. Maybe you were on a team because of the people that were close to you. Uh, Let's just say maybe you made a stupid decision and you went off in the wrong direction. It most likely had people encouraging the bad decision. Now, I'm not trying to remove glory or accolade from you by saying other people were there at the great moments, nor am I trying to shift blame from you to them by saying they were there at the bad moments. What I'm simply getting you to observe is that People are at significant points at most pivotal positions in your life right now. One of the reasons that I talk a lot is because when I was in high school, a guy that was the intern youth minister at our church pulled me aside one day, spent a lot of time with me and said, man, you might be gifted to talk. I want you to start communicating in some of these Bible studies that we're doing, some of these smaller groups. We didn't call them small groups at the time. Discipleship groups is what we called them. Hey, I want to give you the opportunity to speak to everybody on a Wednesday night. I I think you might be gifted at this. And so I had the opportunity to do it. And the first couple times, it wasn't so great. But I had the opportunity of someone letting me not be good at it and coach me and help me and move me one of the reasons I write is because early on, my dad encouraged me to say, hey, I, I think you're probably skilled at this. Again, you look back at the significant moments in your life, most of them have a who, not just a what. You could think about it like this. You could be doing right now the absolute thing that you most want to do in life, that you are excited to do. But if it's with the wrong person, you'll be absolutely miserable. Or on the other side of it, you think about you could be doing the absolute worst things. I have friends in my life looking back at the rearview mirror that if one of those guys said, hey, let's go spend all day in the hot sun shoveling dog poop, we would probably have a fantastic day.
maybe. You see the idea? You can be in the great circumstance with the wrong people and it just bottoms out. But you could be in a bad circumstance with the right people and it will accelerate. You think about right now where the busted up relationship thing happens the most. Is it not in Hollywood where people have more money, more fame, more accolades, more achievements, more opportunity, but you get the wrong people? It just doesn't work. That's the business example. Now, in basketball, I read a basketball example. That's bucket number two, box number two, basketball. I read, this will be quick, a book called The Fifth Discipline by, I think it was by Peter Singe. Years ago, I remember it because I read it on the airplane. I was flying from Birmingham, Alabama to Dallas, Texas to then get a rental to go down and see Baylor University in Waco. When I was about to make the trip to go to seminary out there, I went to kind of see the campus and all that, find an apartment. And I'm reading this book, The Fifth Discipline at 30,000 Feet. Bill Walton, one of the famous Boston Celtics of decades ago, he's quoted in it saying something like this. Now, I'm going to butcher this quote, but he says basically, by design and by talent, we were a team of specialists. And like a team of specialists in any field, we knew that in order for everyone to succeed, we all had to do our job better. He goes on. He says, there were times when we were playing on the court when everyone's game would just elevate at a higher level and we just knew things were working phenomenally. We were in sync together. In those moments, our play elevated. We were better. The other team played better. The refs were even better. In those moments, it became magical. That's his word. Now, you think about that basketball. You've seen it. You've experienced it with the team where, you know, the silly acronym that's so true. T-E-A-M, together everyone achieves or accomplishes more. It's almost like there's this elevating thing when you get the right people together. And what you need to know about it is this is foundational. I think it is the way that God created us. Third box, third bucket, moving from business to basketball to the Bible. <laughs> All right. Genesis chapter one. There's this refrain that happens over and over, you might not have noticed it, but once you see it, you won't be able to unsee it. It says over and over, let us create this. Let us create that. Let us, plural, let us, let us. So God speaks light. Let us, let us create. And they create Separate the waters. Let us create. Separates the land. Let us plants. Let us 
animals. Let us, and here's what you need. Create man in our own image, Genesis 1, 26. So in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, plural. So all throughout Genesis 1, it's it's plural, us, 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 us. And then it's male and female, plural, created in the image of God, which is at its core, plurality relational. You know, you can't miss that in Genesis chapter 2, Adam was there, different creation account, and God has all the animals come beside Adam to see what he would call them. And so they're coming by, literally, male and female coming by, male and female coming by, male and female coming by. And then all of a sudden, it says in the scripture, but for Adam, a suitable helper partner was not found. Now, a lot of people get tied up and go, well, that's saying the woman's the helper and that's derogatory. No, God is called our helper throughout Psalms. Helper is the word used of the Holy Spirit. It's not negative. It's only negative because we squish and make it negative. You don't get to rewrite the dictionary or rewrite how, how creation occurs, you know, to make it politically incorrect and, and then try to politically correct that. It's crazy. Now, I remember reading that when I was younger and thinking, wait, did, did this catch God by surprise? Because this is the first moment where God says it's the only moment. In that account where he says, the Lord saw this was not good that man should be alone. Not good. Everything's been good, 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 and then not good. And it kind of dawns on you. It wasn't that God did not know that it was not good for man to be alone. He just needed man to see for himself that he didn't need to be alone, that he's designed for relationship. He's designed to be in community. You know, it's interesting when you get to the New Testament, John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. The truth. He said in that moment, truth is embodied not in facts and figures and in data and in verses that we can spit out and all these truth propositional statements and in systematic theology, as important as all of those things are. I'm for them. He said that truth is embodied in a relationship. And then he continues that statement. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if I asked you and said, where is Jesus taking you? You might, if you were like most church people, say Jesus is taking us to heaven. Yet in that statement, that's not what he says. Now, I do believe that he does take us to a place, for sure. We see that throughout the scripture. However, in that statement, he's saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, what he's saying is truth is embodied in relationship. You were at creation, created in the image of a relational God who is in community in and of himself. You were also created for relationship. It was not good that you would be alone. Jesus, your creator and sustainer, is pulling you into relationship, taking you to a relationship 
were promised in Scripture that God, here's a great quote, sets the lonely Psalms 68.6 into families. He binds them together, Ephesians 2.19, into the household of God. Now, in the Old Testament, this is how all of it has to do with your dreams. In Genesis chapter 11, there is a story of the Tower of Babel. And it's 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 crazy because it, it falls right before the call of Abraham. Abraham is scattered out of Babylon. And so like that's he's one of the people scattered, his families. That's how that story kind of ties together. It's always like, how does the Tower of Babel story fit in the scripture? Because it says that during those days in Babylon, the men started building a monument to the sky to themselves saying, let us build a monument to ourselves and let us reach up to the heavens and let us make our name great. And so they started building up this tower to the heavens, up and up and up. And then the scripture says, ironically, then God came down. You know? And then there's this interesting phrase, God said, now nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them because they are all unified of one heart, of one mind, and of one voice. In other words, because they think the same thing, because their hearts are aligned together relationally, and because they are speaking in the same direction and they are all unified, anything they want to do is now achievable. It's now attainable, again, by God's admission. Nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. It's almost like you see that this unified oneness is this empowerment to do the extraordinary. You think about it. It's it's not a group of people that are doing anything noble. It's not a group of people that are doing anything to serve others. It's not a group of people that are doing anything spiritual. They are doing something for themselves for their own fame. It reminds me of Psalms 133, 1 through 2, that says that unity, well, it describes like this, how blessed it is for brothers to walk in unity. It is like the oil flowing down the head of Aaron, off the beard of Aaron, on his robe. There, the Lord has commanded his presence forevermore. How blessed it is for people, brothers, to walk in oneness. It's like the oil flowing down the head, off the beard, off the robe of Aaron. Now, what the psalmist is bringing up there is a throwback to the book of Leviticus, particularly in chapter 8, where Aaron and the priesthood was anointed to serve. They would take like this five-gallon bucket of oil, and they would put it on their head, and the oil was supposed to be symbolic of the Holy Spirit covering that man, all those men, to do the thing that God had called them to do. And what the psalmist is saying is when brothers walk in oneness, when you get the who together in alignment, not necessarily the what, but the who, when you do that, it's as if the Holy Spirit envelops the people, punctuating them, 
setting them aside to do the very thing that God has created, crafted, ordained for them to do. Do you see? I'm going to crash land it right there. My prayer for you is that the Lord would bless you. He would keep you. He would be gracious and shine his face of favor upon you. And may you see that greater than the things that you're going to do are going to be the things that you're going to do with others that he brings close to you, that you're not designed to move through life alone, that you are created for connection, you are crafted for community. There are things that others don't have that you supply. There are things that you have that they need, things they have that you need, and he's orchestrated it like this so that we move together in oneness. It is the same as if the presence and the power of his spirit is upon us to do the great thing that we've been dreaming of doing that he's placed as one of those desires of our heart. Grace, peace, I'll see you. We'll finish this series up in the next episode.